0: wow amen church it is good to be in the house of the lord amen Amen. i know it's a little bit rainy and cloudy outside but god is good all the time and so whether we got sunshine or liquid sunshine he's still our god and so very thankful for that guys thank you for leading us in worship this morning to uh, uh the choir and the day band and uh the whole day band and and you know the band's growing and so praise God for that and so he's still recruiting I know and so if you'd like to be a part of uh the Bay Dan or uh, the Billy Day worship band uh, we can name it whatever we want to. I mean, we could call it Cecilia Worship. I don't know. We could come up with a, a catchy phrase. That's what's going on today in the church, right? So uh, thank you guys for, for preparing our hearts for worship this morning. Uh, and where's Miss Judy? Miss Judy, you're in here somewhere. Where's Miss Judy? Is Miss Judy in the back? I promised her that I would have a, a video today with Eliza us I will do that next Sunday. And so forgive me for that. Uh, but I will definitely get that for next Sunday. And as far as Family Fun Night is concerned, this is for all ages. And so we want you to come, no matter how old you are. We're going to have music, we're going to have food, we're going to have fun, and we're going to have some games. And so we want you to come out this afternoon. The rain is gone, and so it should be a great day to come together and fellowship. Invite your neighbor, invite your family, invite your friends, whoever you want to invite. Come out, we'll social distance. It's going to be outside. We'll have a great day. And so this is good for the church. I know a lot of people, maybe you're a little hesitant. I know there's a lot of folks that are still uncertain about these things types of events, but I promise you, we're going to keep it very clean. We're going to do the best job that we can do, and you need some social interaction. Amen? You need to be around your church family some, and this makes for a great atmosphere this afternoon. Come and listen to some great music. Come let your kids play a little bit. We'll we'll, we'll have hands. As well. And so we're looking for a great, great afternoon. And so, for none of you all that had a teenager uh, over the last five years, you all really missed out on the bottle flipping. Amen? Uh, Because my house was filled with this Uh, from drinks that were three fourths full to half full to a fourth full, it didn't even two liters. Uh, from flipping them down uh, the, the beds to outside on the steps. I, I, it's a wonder they didn't use five gallon buckets, but whatever worked. And so, but church, it is good to see you this morning. I pray that you got your Bible with you, pray that you got your sermon outline. Go ahead and open that up as we get ready to work through God's Word together. And, uh, and, and I know God is already moving because He is the Waymaker. Amen. He, he is our God, and He never stops working. Even when we can't see it, even when maybe we don't understand it, God is always good and God is always at work. But we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 24, this morning, and this is going to end our series on the book of Acts, and we're getting ready to turn to something brand new starting next Sunday. But Acts, chapter 24, and we're only going to look just at a few verses, 24 through 26. So what's the title of the sermon? The Procrastinator, right? The procrastinator. And so everybody looks at each other because, you know, we men, we always think to ourselves, well, why do something today when I can do it what? <laughs> when, when I can do it tomorrow. And so maybe this sermon is going to fit where you are. Maybe in your spiritual life, maybe there's some things that you have been putting off. I'm not real sure. But some of you here, you probably know what this word means. If we want to define it properly, it, it means this it's an action of delaying or an action of postponing something. Now, how many of you all remember the cartoon Popeye? Raise your hand. If you're, if you're uh, under 50, and, or maybe 40 and over, you remember this cartoon. But I remember Popeye. For those of you that are too young, go home and Google it, and you can find it. Well, Popeye had a friend known as Wimpy. Uh, no, he, he wasn't Wimpy. Wimpy, you know. But, but his name was Wimpy, W-I-M-P-Y. And Wimpy loved what? He lo- guess who's having hamburgers today? <laughs> all right, so this fits in perfectly. And so Wimpy loved hamburgers, and his catchphrase was this. You ready? I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Well, that all sounds great. That, that, that all sounds marvelous. But for Wimpy, Tuesday never had a way of coming what? Of coming around. You know, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, if we're honest, many people are like wimpy. It seems that something that, that people are very comfortable, with our relationship, people are very comfortable with putting this thing off with Jesus, per se. And so I got to thinking to myself, you know, we're, we're living in a time where we're very statistically driven. And so I want you to listen to some of these, and I'm going to pull at your heartstring a little bit, and that's okay. I want you to listen to this. According to an article I read this week, there are over 150,000 people who die every day throughout our world. 150,000 people close their eyes every day in the world. And on average, 7,452 people pass away daily in the United States. Which means this, an American dies, an American person dies about every 12 seconds. Every 12 seconds, someone passes away. And I want you to think about this. In 2018, unintentional deaths accounted for 6% of all deaths in the United States. So can you imagine, and I want you to think about this, I want to ask you, how many of those people, the thousands among thousands, Do you believe procrastinated when it came to their relationship with Jesus Christ? I just wonder. I wonder how many of the thousands upon thousands that die every day tell themselves, Well, I'll get around to it. And then they never, and they never do. I wonder how many knew of God. I wonder how many knew of Jesus Christ. Maybe they had went to church even, on a regular basis. But they never made a profession of faith because they figured they would just get around to it. I wonder how many were on the verge of a confession of faith. and they felt as though time wasn't an issue, and then an unintentional accident claimed their life this is stuff that we don't think about this is stuff that we, we we don't sit around and we don't ponder on these things because we we know that death is just a natural part of life but for us as christians there are people that are dying each and every day that have never heard of the gospel People that maybe we should have spoken to. People that we maybe should have had the courage to call out or to have spoke to them or knocked on a door or invited them to a church afternoon like such that we're having here today. Maybe this is some of you that are here in our congregation, maybe this is some of the people that are listening online this morning through Facebook Live, that they have been on the verge of a confession, they've been on a verge of saying that Jesus is their Savior, but we live with this prominent notion and we live with this ideology that we think to ourselves, well, tomorrow is always promised. And so I don't have to make a decision about Jesus today. But listen to me, when you don't make a decision about Jesus today, you're still making a decision. You're still making a decision. And so this morning in our scripture, we're going to look at a man. And we're going to look at his wife and some odd reason, they just could not get over the hump of putting their faith in Jesus. They knew of Jesus. They knew of Christianity, they had probably witnessed the faith and the love and the sincerity of Christianity. But instead of placing their faith in Jesus, they placed their faith in comfort. Which millions of people are doing at this exact moment. I want you to look at what the scripture says, Acts 24, just a few verses. 24 through 26. And then we'll pray. Look what it says. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. And he sent for Paul, and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. And as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. And when I find it convenient, I will send for you. And at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day that you've made. We thank you for the opportunity to get up out of bed this morning and and get to come and to worship your holy name. Father, we thank you for this church family. We thank you for uh, the singing. We thank you for the ability to give of our gifts today and to you. And so, Father, I pray right now that you're already at work. And as we sang this morning, you are the the waymaker and the miracle worker, and you never stop. And, God, I know you're working right now in the hearts that are here this morning, hearts that are listening maybe on Facebook Live or wherever they may be going this morning. Father, we want to see you work in a great way. Amen. Lord, we want to see you change lives. Father, we want to see families healed. Lord, we want to see people come to faith. We want to, we want to see the cynical come to faith. Father God, we want to see you knock walls down. We want to see you give hope, Lord, to the hopeless. And so, Father, I pray this morning you move in the way you move, Lord. Help us, Father, not to just hear this morning, but to listen to see you move in a great way, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, they said, Amen. Now, now, when Paul met Felix, Paul knew that Felix was the governor of Judea. And in chapter 24, we're told that Felix had given the order to the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but he gave him a little bit of freedom, and he permitted his friends to take care of his needs. Now, the governor didn't have to do this, but he did. And so he was kindly toward Paul, per se. But here's where the storyline starts to become very unusual. We're introduced to another component of this scripture. And so in verse 24, Felix arrives with who? His what? His beautiful wife. Amen. We all have a beautiful wife. Praise God. Ain't that right, men? I gave you a chance right there. Praise God. We all have a beautiful wife. Thank the Lord for that. Mine celebrated a birthday this week, so all of you all that sent cards and prayers and all that good stuff, thank you all for that. I know she uh, enjoyed that, and we enjoyed that and appreciate that as well. So here comes his wife. Her name is Drusilla. Now, let me give you some very interesting uh, background and history on this young lady. Drusilla came from a very cruel bloodline. She was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I, the one who had put the Apostle James to death. It was her great-grandfather, another Herod, who attempted to kill baby who? Baby Jesus by having all the infants in Bethlehem slain in cold blood. She was said to be the most beautiful woman on earth during this time. She was married first at the age of 14. Can you imagine? At the age of 14, she was married for the first time. And then one day, Governor Felix laid eyes on her and, and his heart and mind, He just had to have this young woman. So he plotted and he planned and he schemed to steal her away from her first husband, whom she eventually divorced and married Felix at the age of 16. So here's the governor of Judea and his wife, from whom life seems to be grand, and they're waiting on the entrance of this prisoner known as Paul. And as they sit waiting for his entrance, they see Paul walking in, possibly limping in, more than likely beaten and bruised, according to about two chapters before this. His face probably shown the years of travel, The years of beating, even the years of persecution that he had endured for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here comes this missionary warrior for Jesus Christ that's more than likely chained. But even through the years of pain, even through the years of suffering, even through the years of persecution and imprisonment, the Apostle Paul was getting ready to share something with this man and wife that I don't think they ever forgot. I really don't. And in Felix's mind, surely Paul probably would have what? He probably would have begged for his life. He's probably thinking, well, he's going to want to release back into society. He's going to want a chance to do better, to make something more of his life. But as Paul stood there, or maybe he sat there that day in chains. He was cut and bruised and beaten. He had one thing on his mind that day, and it wasn't about his future. It wasn't the fear of the bondage, but it was finding out if Felix, the governor, was still in bondage himself. And this is how great a man that Paul was. Paul did not care about himself. Paul was concerned about those who were lost. He was concerned about those who did not know Jesus Christ. Because he did not want one more soul to go to hell. He didn't want one more soul to leave this earth without being able to hear the gospel of Jesus. And so the irony of the situation was this. Paul had church that day with two people that didn't go to church, per se. Paul had an opportunity that day to share the gospel of Jesus with two people that came from very different, cruel, and deceiving backgrounds. Paul had an opportunity that day to preach the gospel of Jesus in a manner that showed he was free. And they were the ones that were in chains. They were the ones that were imprisoned. They were the ones that did not have hope. They were the ones that did not have the victory in Jesus. And in verse 24, they said they had sent for Paul and they heard him speak about his what? About his faith in Jesus Christ. And this scenario, it sounds very, very familiar with the situations that I see as pastor today. And so let me share a few points with you that I see in this scripture and I continue to see today. And so here's your outline. Are you ready, Neil? Y'all ready back there? Number one, some are what? Aware of what? The gospel. Some are aware of the gospel. But listen to me, there's a big difference in believing in something and being acquainted with something. Prior verses said that Felix was acquainted with the way. Now truth be told, he probably had heard the story of Jesus. He had probably heard about Jesus' death. He had probably heard about the resurrection of Jesus. And he knew the powerful Jews that wanted Christianity, that wanted Paul, and anyone who advocated, he wanted them condemned, prisoned, and persecuted if need be. Well, there's a lot of people that say they know Jesus. Well, folks, I, I, I know Billy Graham. But Billy Graham never knew me. Are you with me? To know Jesus means you have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't just mean that you are acquainted with Jesus. It doesn't just mean that you are well acquainted with Jesus. So to have a relationship with Jesus, it means you've confessed Him as your what? As your Lord and as your Savior. It means you've been made into a new creation. It means that you know Him intimately. It means that you understand what Christ has done for your life and that you are willing to place your life in His hands and follow Him what? And follow Him daily and to pick up your cross what? To pick up your cross daily. Poster George Gallup Jr. has long referred to America as a nation of biblical illiterates. Now hear this. Only four in ten Americans know that Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. A majority of citizens cannot name the four Gospels of the New Testament. Only three in ten teenagers know why Easter is celebrated. Think about that. You know, there's many of us that say we know Jesus. But do we really know Jesus? Do you know His will for your life? Do you know what His Word means for you and that it means for others? Are you willing to let Jesus control your life, even though you may be persecuted for your beliefs because of Jesus? Are you willing to do that? See, many people believe if they admit that they know God, then they're eternally what? They're eternally secured. But the Bible says we must be born what? Again. So the Bible says that we must be born what? Again. So if we have to be born again, just being acquainted with Jesus is not good what? It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And many people through this life and this is what they believe that God loves everyone you're right God does love everyone you're thinking to yourself well God loves me then God's going to provide a way for me that when I die you're absolutely right God provided a way for you and that way is known as Jesus amen but you have to place your faith in Jesus you can't just walk the earth from the time that you're born to the time that you die and tell people well I'm a good person and being a good person is what's going to get me into the pearly what? Going to get me into the pearly gates. No, listen to me, church. If that was true, God would have never sent His Son. He'd have never sent Jesus to live, to die, and to be born again. It would have never have happened. He sent Jesus to make you a way. Being acquainted is not good enough. And then number two, and this is where my English got really bad. Miss Tina, if you're watching, I know you're not here this morning, forgive me. But number two, some are willing to listen. Some are willing to what? To listen. Now notice when Paul started preaching, they didn't just stop him immediately. They listened to what Paul had to say up to a certain point until things started to get a little shaky. So was Felix and his wife, were they under conviction? Did they find Paul's faith interesting? Or maybe they just found Paul's ability to speak attractive. But see, I believe there's a huge difference in hearing and listening. And please forgive me, your sermon outline has this backwards. And my English, I promise you, some are, were, I'm the Lord have mercy. Miss Tina, if you were here, you'd probably fire me. And listen, I am not an English major, but I'm not that bad. And I believe that when I typed this up, I had a nine-year-old pulling on my shirt trying to get me to answer a math question, which I had no idea how to answer. So thank you, Miss Donna, for that. But hearing doesn't take much what? It doesn't take much effort. Matter of fact, there are some that are practicing that right now. Amen? For hearing, it doesn't take much effort. It's just a natural response. But listening to someone takes a level of hearing and then digesting what that individual is telling you. There's a story. A hardened unbeliever one day went to see, not to hear, George Whitfield when he preached outdoors at a great throng of people. And so in order to have a good vantage point, he, he climbed a tree nearby. And putting his fingers in both ears, he began to watch this mighty preacher. Then a little fly, a little persistent fly, landed on his nose. And he shook his head, but the fly wouldn't, wouldn't move. So he removed one, one hand from an ear just to flick the fly away. And then Whitfield quoted this verse, He that has ears, let him what? Let him hear. Then he spoke willfully of refusal of many to hear the Spirit's voice. The unbeliever was so impressed by what happened that he opened not only his ears to the gospel, but he also opened his heart to the gospel that day. You know, I've noticed many people are ready to listen to the gospel when life's difficulties start to creep in. You ever notice this? Maybe a loved one has become sick. Maybe you've become sick. Maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe there's family issues or there's some relational issues or there's some financial issues. Things that are out of your what? Out of your control. But here's the key. See, when people are ready to listen to the gospel, the gospel can change a person. The gospel can change a family. The gospel can change a nation. And the gospel can change the world. And when people are ready to listen, this is when we let them hear our what? Our testimony. Amen? This is when we tell them what Jesus has done. We tell them about the the, the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus. We talk to them about the healing power of Jesus. We talk about the love of Jesus. And we talk about that joy and that peace that Jesus gives us. When we put our trust in Him. So I want to ask you a quick question. You ready for this one? If someone said, I'm willing right now to give my life to Christ. But you have to tell me why. What would you say? If someone came to you after the sermon today, if someone came to you this afternoon and they looked at you and they said, I'm willing to give my life right now to Jesus, but you have to tell me why, what would you say? And then thirdly, somewhat, some flee when convicted. Some flee, some run, some jog. Verse 25, he was discussing righteousness. He was talking about self-control and the judgment to come to Felix. And the Bible says that he became frightened and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave and when I find it convenient, I'll what? I'll sin for you. You know, many times we don't want to hear about our own sins, do we? Many times we don't want to hear about our sins. We don't want to hear about our problems. But you know what's funny and what's ironic is we have no problem pointing out everyone else's. But we don't want to hear about our own sins. And I can imagine when Paul started talking about righteousness, when Paul started talking about self-control and judgment, Felix and his wife, I'm sure they had flashbacks to their sinful past and how they would be judged by those sins. You imagine here you are, Felix and your wife. Well, Felix, he stole that woman. He committed adultery. And so did she. And so here you are, you're Paul, and you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last thing that you probably wanted to hear if you were Felix and Drusilla was self-what? Control. You didn't want to hear that. You didn't want to hear anything about righteousness. And you definitely didn't want to hear about any type of judgment to come. How many of you all remember Calvin Coolidge? Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. And he attended church one Sunday and Miss Coolidge didn't go because she was not feeling real well. Well, when he got back home, he went up to his wife's room to see how she was doing and she promptly reassured him that she was, she was okay and she was starting to feel better and, and asked him if he enjoyed the sermon well, she looked at him, and she said, well, what was the sermon about? And he said, one word, sin. Well, what did the minister say about it? He was against it. He was against it. See, God doesn't like sin, church, amen? God, God doesn't like sin, but understand, God knows we are what? What? He knows these things. God knows there's going to be times in your life that you mess up. God knows there's going to be times in your life that you make the wrong choice. But instead of turning to Him for forgiveness, we have a tendency to turn and run and act like the sin doesn't even what? Doesn't even exist. But here's the scary part. Are you ready for this one? Many of us enjoy our sin too much. Hear this. We don't want God taking our sins away, much less forgiving us of something that we find fun and indulge in. And many times our sins are just a daily part of our lives as waking up in the morning or laying down to go to sleep at night. And so we become numb. Our hearts become hard and we continue to live with the sin in our life as our sin becomes our God instead of taking our sin to our God and asking Him for forgiveness. And strength. See, being convicted over our sin, that's not convenient anymore. Amen? We don't want to come to church and hear sermons over sin. We don't want to come to church and feel guilty over what we've done on Friday and Saturday night. We just want to come and have our ears tickled and promise these good things that are coming into our lives. But we don't want to hear about righteousness. We don't want to hear about God's commandments. We don't want to hear about God's will. We don't want to hear about what God expects from us of the way that we act and the way that we love and the way that we walk and the way that we talk. We just want to have our ears tickled. Well, I got news for you. Paul didn't tickle his ears that day, did he? That's not what Paul did. Paul preached the gospel, and Felix was convicted, but it was easier to flee than to ask for forgiveness. And, church, listen to me. There are millions upon millions that do it each and every Sunday. Each and every Sunday there are people that come in and they hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit is knocking and the Spirit is stirring and their sins are on their mind and they tell themselves, no, 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 no. I cannot ask for forgiveness. I cannot go down there and pray. People are going to laugh at me. They're going to smirk at me. They're going to look at me in a different light. And so we tell ourselves it's easier just to keep on living with the sin than to give it to the Maker. And so what do we do? we flee, we leave, we walk out the door, and we hope the preacher don't preach on sin again. We hope next Sunday it's about something different. Felix was convicted. And then number four, you ready? Now for some, this is going to hit hard. Are you ready? Some come for social or financial gain and put off what? Spiritual gain. I want you to look at that and read it one more time. You ready? Some come to church for social or financial gain, and they put off what? They put off spiritual gain. Verse 26, that Felix was more or less kept summoning Paul, and the Bible says that he was hoping that money would be given to him for his release. See, there's no doubt in my mind that Paul was a cheerful giver. But at this moment, he was more concerned about the giving of his faith in Jesus. And I believe Paul kept sharing his faith with Felix, and that's not what Felix wanted to what? It's not what he wanted to hear. And it says that Felix would send for him quite often, hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, which by, uh, here's the thing too, that was against Roman law. And see, Felix, whether he knew it or not, he was going to church every time that he sent for Paul. The problem was, he was going to church for the wrong what? He was going to church for the wrong reasons. Now listen, church, I believe many people come today for the right reasons, amen? I believe people come to worship God. I believe people come to use their spiritual gifts. I believe people come to practice their spiritual disciplines, to serve others, to help others mature in their walk with God. But there are those that come to church for social gain. There are those that come to church for financial gain. And they leave out, brothers and sisters, the spiritual what? The spiritual gain. But this was one sermon that shook Felix. But the Felix, the governor, became Felix, the procrastinator. And Felix is the perfect example of what not to do. I want you to listen to this poem before we close. You ready? He was going to be all that a mortal should be tomorrow. No one would be better than he tomorrow. Each morning he stacked up the letters he would write, tomorrow. It was too bad indeed, he was too busy to see his friend, but he promised to do it tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been, tomorrow. The world would have known him had he ever seen, tomorrow. But the fact is, he died and faded from view, and all that was left when living was through was a mountain of things that he intended to do tomorrow. Let me ask you this question. Why in the world would you put off having a relationship with Jesus Christ till tomorrow? Why would you do it? Why would we wait to make an eternal decision until tomorrow? Why would we wait to have our lives changed until tomorrow? I wonder how many Felixes are here today. I wonder how many Felixes are listening online today. I wonder how many Christians are here today and Christ has been encouraging you to do something, but you're living with the mindset of this when I find it convenient. When I find it convenient. You know, Jesus has given us life. Jesus has given us free will. God has made a way for all those who call upon the name of the Lord to have salvation. The question is this, will it be today? Will it be today? Is there someone that will come today and say, I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior? Is there someone that would come today and say, you know what, Brother Donnie, I, I know that God wants more for my life, but I have just been so self-absorbed, and I keep telling God, and I keep telling myself, I'll get around to it. Well, let me, let me explain this to you. You ready? Your to it may never happen. Today can be a new day. Today can be an opportunity even for you that are here today that call yourself Christians to come and say, God, I'm, I'm reaffirming my faith in you. I'm giving my life back to you. Because church, you know how easy it is to say that we're Christians and we live in a way that doesn't mirror who we say we are. And so this morning I pray for you. If you're convicted, and there's something that you need to come and pray about. Don't flee. Don't flee. But come and pray. Amen. So as we come, as we sing this morning, as we stand, Billy, as you come and Miss Donna, and we have our time of invitation, there's no better day today than make a decision for Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no better day than to come and be dedicated to Him. And to live your life for Him. Will you come today as we sing?